So when we have children's devotions, I always talk to you guys about God's word, right? I tell you about Jesus as we learn about him in the Bible. But today I want to talk to you about this book itself, the actual Bible. You guys ever been to a library? Raise your hand if you've ever been to the library. What do we have in a library? A lot of books, so many books, right? Thousands and thousands of books. And usually you have to use a special computer to find the books that you're looking for or to find a topic of books. Maybe you like cars and you want to learn more about cars. So you can go to the library, you could search cars, and it'll show you where all the books about cars are. Or maybe you like plants or animals or outer space or who knows, whatever you like. You could go to the library and you can search it and you can find it. There's so many books in the library, but they're not all connected. They're all about different things. Now, the reason I bring up the library is because this, believe it or not, is actually not one book. This is actually a library. It's full of 66 different books and letters. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there's all these different books in here. It's a collection of books. But what makes this library different from your normal library, is that all the books and letters in this library are about the same thing, about the same person. They're all about Jesus. Every single book, every single letter, they all point us to Jesus, to the real Jesus. And that's important. Today, Jesus is going to tell us to watch out for false prophets, to watch out for people who say things that sound good in our head and say things that feel good in our hearts, but they're actually pointing us to a a, a wrong Jesus, to a fake Jesus, to a Jesus who is not our Savior at all. And the only way that we can know it's not the real Jesus is if we know who the real Jesus is. And these books in this library, in God's Word, they point us to the, to the real Jesus. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to get to know God's word better so that we can make sure we don't listen to things that are not true, but only listen to the true word of God. Let's fold our hands and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for pointing us to Jesus, who is our Savior from sin, who defeated death with his resurrection. We ask that you would help us to get to know your son, Jesus, very, very well, so that if anyone tries to show us someone who is not actually Jesus, we would know, that's not my Savior. Help us to focus on what God's word has to say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Not too long ago, Melissa and I watched a movie called The Professor and the Madman. Anyone seen it? It was a movie that was particularly interesting because it was about something I knew nothing about. It was about the, the origins of the Oxford English Dictionary. I, I had never really given any thought to how a, a dictionary, especially the first English dictionary ever, would be, would be formulated. The amount of time, years spent by scholars investigating not just a few English words, but every single one. Investigating the history of every single word, documenting where it had been used and how it had been used and when it had been used. Incredible amounts of time on each and every word. And then finally, after decades of work in 1884, the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary was published. Not in one little book that fits on your shelf, but in this huge set of volumes. And ever since, it's been updated like every other dictionary with new additions to the, to the study and new words, sometimes thousands at a time as the English language continues to develop and add new words and, and phrases. It, it got me thinking about how we as humans have collected information and learned over the years. When I was younger, and, and when many of you were younger, if, if we wanted to learn something new, we had to find that collection of books on a shelf maybe in our classroom called an encyclopedia or a dictionary. And some people had them in their homes, but most people didn't. They're pretty expensive, and, and if you wanted to learn, you had to go to the library to, to get a copy of the encyclopedia or, or get one from your classroom, and then you had to look it up. And, and those, those books were many, many volumes long, like, like a thorough dictionary. And with the help of dictionaries and encyclopedias and other, other books of those natures, we could learn all sorts of things. That was until the dawn of the internet, where all of a sudden, entire libraries were on our desk. And we could search them instantly and have this wealth of information at our fingertips. And now, of course, it's in our pockets. Limitless information. I, I got curious, as I often do, running down these rabbit trails during the week, and I looked to see if anybody had ever tried to calculate how many books it would take to print all the information on the internet. And of course, somebody has. And they figure if you, if you built a bookshelf to contain all the books, it, it would go from the earth to the outer edge of our solar system. Books stacked side by side, page after page. There is so much information available today, so much more information at your fingertips now than ever before. 
30, 40 years ago, you had a library at your disposal, maybe a set of encyclopedias at your disposal. Now you have so much information at your disposal that you could literally become an expert in just about anything, if you wanted to, if you had the time, if you had the, the energy. But of course, having access to all this information, it, it, it gives us another perspective as well. We, we realize how little we actually know compared to all there is to know. And I think that this simple reality that the internet has awakened us to, the fact of how little we know, out of all the things there is to know, I think this is one of the factors that contributes to our expert culture. We realize at some point you've you got to rely on an expert in an area because you don't know anything about that particular area, and so why not listen to the people who know something about this little thing? It's not just in our culture, though when experts are looked to. As I mentioned in our Old Testament lesson, in the book of Jeremiah, there was this group of prophets that the people just looked up to, and they said, well, they're the prophets. They're the ones with the, the direct line to the throne room of God. If, if anyone's going to know what God says, it's, it's them. And there's a whole bunch of them saying everything's going to be okay, and there's just this one guy named Jeremiah saying everything's not going to be okay. And we like their message better, so everything's going to be okay, and I'm sure they know what they're talking about. And that's when you heard God send the prophet Jeremiah to them and say again, no, everything's not going to be okay. Your idolatry has caused the end of your nation. The Babylonians are coming, and you're going to be wiped out. Do not listen to what the false prophets are saying. I have not spoken to them. And in our gospel lesson, Jesus gives similar direction. He tells us, the church, watch out. The word is pseudo-prophets. Watch out for pseudo-prophets, for false prophets. Watch out for people who sound good, who, who feel good, who look good, but are not actually pointing you to me, Jesus says. If they're not pointing you to me, then, then they're no good. And, and Jesus says to you and to me, he tells us exactly how we're going to recognize them. He says, by their fruit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, the kind of fruit that we as Christians are probably the most familiar with when it comes to the word of God is the fruit of the Spirit, Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things that God says will be evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. Maybe we, we say fruits of faith. I can't see faith in your heart. You can't see faith in my heart. But as we live together as Christians and we see the selflessness and the love and the patience and the kindness in one another, we are seeing examples, evidence of the faith that is in the heart of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here, the fruits of the prophets is specifically what they say. By their fruit, by their doctrine, by their teaching, by their words, you will recognize them. But of course, if you're going to recognize a false prophet by their teaching, you have to know what the word of God actually says. You have to know the word. And you can understand why that might be intimidating to some people. Because as we talked about in the children's devotion, this, 
This book is not just one book with one author written at one point in time. It's a a library of books, 66 in total, books and letters written over a a period of time that is quite large, over 1,500 years from start to finish by 40-plus different men. Every book has a unique context. Many of the books in the Old Testament were written in the Hebrew language and the books in the New Testament were written in the Greek language and it takes a long time to learn those and even to just become a little bit proficient is, is challenging. And there's a gazillion different translations and how do we know which one's right? And even if we know it's right, I'm reading something written to a group of people that I cannot even begin to relate to. Their, their culture is so foreign to me. They, they, they understood things that I don't understand because I haven't lived it. And so I'm just going to leave it to the experts. I'm just going to leave this to the pastors and to the Christian school teachers and to the college professors at Christian universities and colleges and and, and to the seminary professors. Those are going to be the the real experts. I'm just going to leave it to them and everything will be okay. That would be a mistake. This is not a book you just leave to the experts. While it's true that most of us sitting in here, including myself, will probably never have the, the letters doctor of theology by our name, and, and while it's probably true that many of us won't have any degrees in the scriptures, it's also true that you have to know the word if you're a Christian. You have to know what it says. You have to know the simplest messages of the scriptures, all these books and letters that point to Jesus, that begin by showing us our need for Jesus, that show us that we are unable to be what God wants us to be, that we are failures and unlovable, and yet God loves us. He proved it by sending his son Jesus to be our savior, not, not a savior who would start things so we could finish them, but a savior who did all the things God demanded for our salvation so that we might be saved. So that we could be with the Father for all eternity. God sent his son to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Sinners like you and me, so that we could be with God forever. You have to know that. You have to know what the scriptures teach if you're going to identify people who are not true teachers of God's word, who are pseudo-prophets, false prophets. Like we said earlier, false prophets will look good, they'll sound good, what they say will feel good, but they're not going to point you to the Jesus who was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And they're not going to point you to the Jesus who was anointed by his father to serve as a unique servant who would suffer our suffering, hell itself, who would endure the death that the sins of the world deserve so that we could be one with God again, who would prove to us, to the whole world, that sin had so thoroughly been defeated that even its consequence, death, had been defeated as he rose from the dead. 
False prophets are going to point you to a weak Jesus. They're going to point you to a Jesus who needs your help. They're going to point you to a Jesus who looks good and sounds good and even feels good, but a Jesus who is so weak that he could not finish your salvation on his own. They're going to point you to a Jesus who desperately needs you to step in and finish the job with your decisions or with your actions or with your feelings, but he needs you. He needs you to finish what he started. And that Jesus is no Jesus at all. The name Jesus has roots in a word that means salvation. He saves. Yeshua. The Lord is salvation. The Lord does not need your help. Nor does he need mine. He's done it all. And he's done it all in full. It'd be good for us to talk about the church a little bit. We are a congregation, a gathering of people, a gathering of people who have come together with a united purpose. And there are all sorts of congregations with all sorts of purposes, and many of them are different, but ours is clear. Our purpose is to know the word. We get together to get to know God's word better, and we get together to make God's word known to the people around us However that happens, we exist to know the word, to to get to know what God's word says about us as sinful humans and about our Savior, Jesus. And you know there's a lot of freedom in how we do that, right? We've currently chosen to have church twice a week, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Sundays at at 9 a.m. That could change, I guess, right? If you as a congregation... Want it to change? It could change. You could add to it. You could subtract to it. We can decide to do whatever we want to do, but we're going we're gonna to do it, right? We're going to get together to get to know God's word, right? And if we're not getting together to know God's word better because the time isn't right, well, let's talk about that, right? Let's, let's have that conversation, but we're going to do it because that's why we exist, to get to know the word, And we do things like Bible studies and different forms of youth ministry. We're going to have a vacation Bible school this coming week. We're going to try something a little different for Sunday school for youth ministry this this fall. We're going to have confirmation classes and teen ministry and senior group. There's all these things that we have in our plans to do. Why? So we can know the word. So we could be together in God's word. But you know that I don't dictate those things to you, right? It's not the job of the pastor to tell the people when to meet or how to meet. If you prefer a Bible study format to be lecture, then I'll lecture. If you prefer Bible study to be more interactive, then we'll do that too. Maybe both. But we're going to gather to know the word, right? We're going to get together to to feed our children with God's word. We're going to get together to be fed by God's word. Maybe we'll be wild and crazy and we'll put all the ages together in one room and we'll get to know God's word together. This is nice, right? This is good to come together now for me to preach to you, to share God's word with you, but it's generally not a part of our culture where you get to raise your hand right now and say, wait a minute, I I got a question. I don't understand. Can Can you back up and say that again? 
We could change that too, I suppose. We could have interactive sermons, but generally that happens in Bible class. You, you get to come and, and raise your hand and say, I don't get it. Can you, can you explain that again? How, when, where, doesn't matter, but this is why we exist. To get to know God's word so that we can know that we are saved by God's own son. And as Jesus warns us today, so that we could be on the lookout, so that we can watch out for people who point us to a different Jesus. I want to close by talking about the very last line of our text. It's not something we should joke about, um, but it's one of those texts where sometimes it kind of makes you you perk up as you hear the words, the gospel of the Lord, proclaimed right after it because the last words don't sound like very good news. At the end of our text, <clears throat> Jesus talks about people who, who followed false prophets, who were false prophets, that at the end on judgment day, he will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are hard words to hear. It almost doesn't seem right to, to, to say the gospel of the Lord after saying those words. But it's important for you today to leave here knowing those are words spoken to people who don't know the word, who don't know what God has done for them, who are not heirs of God. Think of what they mean for you, for people who by God's grace do know his word who are heirs of God, people who, who do know their sin and who rely on Jesus and on Jesus alone for salvation and peace with God. These words mean that Jesus does know you. He knows you perfectly well. He's your brother. He's your, he's your, your, your savior and your king. He's the one who doesn't say away from me, but who says, Come. Come, take the place reserved for you, the the house that I've been preparing for you. It's right here, ready, because of what I have done for you. To know the word is to know Jesus, the Jesus who has rescued you from hell, the Jesus who is preparing a place for you, the Jesus who has saved you and made you God's dear child, his own brother. I look forward to continuing to get to know God's word better with you day after day. Amen.